0: Today we are speaking with the writer and director of The Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns. Riley, how are you today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me, man.
0: And it's great to have you. It's, uh, I got to watch the movie the other day. It's a fun, dark comedy. Uh, very 90s-esque in your presentation. Like 1994, you would have been like the king of Miramax with this film.
1: I mean, I uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing now, but like I, I well in 1994, really... today's you know <laughs> yeah exactly. No, it's, it's funny the way that the the way that indies are made and yeah. released now. It's 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 there's so many, and it's funny to think about what would have hit, what wouldn't have. I'm just glad that this movie is coming out right now because I'm really happy with a lot of the films that are being made, and uh, this is definitely the movie that I wanted to make.
0: Yeah. I I like that your your main character. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character um, develops a self, uh, a, you know, self confidence and a, a sense of self self worth, even though in a mcdojo setting.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what's funny is that I, the word mcdojo, I think, uh, in a real life sort of situation or, or setting, is this really negative connotation yes. for, for martial arts. It's, it's like basically they're selling you your belt. And I do like to think that even though there are crazy and some might say wacky things happening, especially in the first part of the film where you're setting up more of a traditional comedy sports movie structure where you think you know where it's going to go. I do think that the dojo does teach legit techniques (laughs) and sensei values real skill for selling something. Uh, So I don't necessarily consider it a dojo, but I do think that there are elements that are just so weird that if they were in real life, like kicking with your fist or punching with your foot in real life, sounds stupid as as hell. But in the context of the movie, I do think that it's probably a legitimate technique.
0: No, it it actually worked for the film. Um, You do attack a bit dojo culture because there are several, and the reason why I used McDojo is because there are people that have become cultists to their style, even though okay. MMA has tried to diminish that over the past 25, uh, 27 years now. Um, exactly.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a, a lot of the Instagram accounts kind of posting the, the fakeness of like using cheat to knock people down or, or having like, you've seen, I'm sure the video of Stephen Seagal uh, throwing his, a, a, in Russia, throwing people using Aikido where they're obviously throwing themselves down. And he's right. just like using his finger and they're flipping like that kind of stuff is really silly. And it, it's, it's, it's more dangerous than a movie that kind of makes fun of it all. Right. Uh, is. Cause I've had people watch the movie and, and kind of either tweet me or something saying that it's or tweet about the movie saying that this movie is a danger to karate. It definitely doesn't represent karate, and I'm not trying to represent karate. I'm making a movie that happens to be set in the world of karate, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a movie. It has to tell a story, and I wanted to make something that didn't really tell a traditional story. But I trained jiu-jitsu, and so I see it every day. I I, I train at other gyms sometimes, and and you see the schools where, like, their their brown belt or their black belt that runs it, and I'm not going to name names, but uh, where they think that they're, like, tough and you roll with them and you're kind of going light and you're able to like tap them in in 30 seconds and like I think that that uh, and then they get angry about it like that culture exists for sure and just shining a light on it is is fun.
0: Right. Well being king of the dojo doesn't mean much when you know you're the top you know 1% of 25 students.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But I I like the
0: concept of how there's uh, chauvinism going on in this dojo and the best student is a female who will never progress Uh, further than a certain point because of misogyny, yet she's the most talented student they have. So that was a great aspect of it. And her vengefulness is is shown quite a bit.
1: Totally. She has no delusions of of her place at the dojo, but also kind of out of stubbornness and and the need to kind of make it a better place and and hope for a better future. She sticks it out, and she's going to continue to stick it out. Like I, I feel like Anna would stay at Brown Belt and stay at this dojo out of uh, spite partially but also mainly out of wanting to, uh, to to hope that there's a better future down the line mm-hmm. she would stay there for the rest of her life if she had to uh, but that's obviously not what the movie's going to do. Like the movie wants to kind of change things and talk about things that, that uh, in a different way and, and create a conversation and, and being very literal and overt with it's, its sexism and it's toxic masculinity and, and chauvinism right. uh, that, that was my, my way of kind of making fun of all of that. Well, it was a
0: lot of fun. I know somebody in a similar situation that was a Brown belt forever and was beating all the top black belts at this school, but because Something of the culture, you know, didn't allow him to advance. He just said, screw it, started his own dojo and gave himself his own black belt. And he's like, I beat all their top guys, so why shouldn't I be considered one?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you hear those stories all the time, and I do like to think that if if, if that wasn't working for you and it, it wasn't like the right school for you, in jujitsu especially, I think there's so much respect behind the belt and the ranking that most people go and they'd say, well, I'm going to change schools and I'll train under somebody else and and they'll see hopefully that I'm a black belt and they'll promote me. Right. But yeah, the, the the whole like ranking of yourself, like the, the promoting yourself, is kind of a no-no in jujitsu. And, right. and uh, I, I wanted to play around with that with with the grand master in the film who's only shown as a portrait on, on the wall in the dojo he promotes himself to like out of out of this ego like sheer ego says well there, I can't go higher than black belt what's higher than black belt I'll invent the rainbow belt and it's got all the colors so it's definitely better than black belt and and I give it to myself and it's definitely the highest rank that you can get like that's just making fun of all that as well
0: right well he had the best role in the entire film is just a photograph
1: yeah, and he also yeah. ma- he's a, in real life. His name is Dragon. He's an incredible character. He's a sword maker, a armor designer. Um, he's been a stunt actor on a million things. And uh, while he, because we brought him on to make the sword, my, my cinematographer introduced me to him. And ended up just thinking he was such an interesting looking person, but also just had this, like, incredible story behind him. And the fact that he made the sword that's featured in the film. We're like, fuck it, let's, like, make him the, the guy that that, uh, that that everyone kind of looks up to and started it all. And and uh, I, I love that we we're able to feature him so prominently. Right. Um,
0: you know, I, I love the fact that, like, his entire role is just a photograph. So that's, like, the easiest payday for anybody at that point. It's I mean, like, yeah, I'm in that movie, so you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it was more like I, I, he probably I got paid because right. we used his likeness. Of uh, but, but the the main thing is like the the fact that he made the sword. It was just he he said yes the second we asked him to do it. And I think we did a we did a wonderful photo shoot with a friend of mine, uh, Michael Valentine, mm-hmm. where he was a photographer, and we just he set up for a couple of hours and talk, took tons of photos and. I was able to pick one that I think I, – I'm, I'm in retrospect, I'm so happy I picked because there was one that was a little bit more serious, but this one that we used in the film, he's got this, like, wryness to him underneath, which is just perfect for – near the end of the movie, there's a close-up where Jesse, like, kind of his, – his eyeline goes to the photo, and then we cut to the photo, and it's almost like they're having – a little moment with each other Uh, and you couldn't have done that with just every photo that we took. So it really worked out kind of perfectly. Well, it was definitely
0: a lot of fun and I enjoyed the film for, for that. Uh, You know, you had a couple of twists in there. Some we saw coming some, you know, if you weren't paying attention or haven't seen a ton of movies uh, you wouldn't have noticed right away. I I watch, you know, way too many movies that I was like, Oh, that's coming. But you know, for the, for the average fan, I was like, Oh, that, you know, they'll enjoy that little twist right there.
1: Yeah, and I, I won't go into specifics, but I, I feel like for every twist that you either see coming or sort of maybe see coming right before it happens, there's always going to be something after it that's surprising. And one thing in particular really was just like, I, even if you know that this one thing is coming, there's something that happens right after it that like that's going to be a surprise no matter what. And I always wanted there to be something along those lines. I didn't want people to feel like they had the movie clocked. And I, there's there's one thing that kind of happens the midpoint where you may see coming but you don't i don't want you to kind of like ever be able to tell how you're going to get there or what it's going to feel like when you get there that's the more important thing for me and it was a similar thing for my first feature a million people probably or not a million people because nobody not a million people saw this movie but a lot of people probably saw the twist in that movie coming it was never about the twist for me it was more important about how it felt as you were kind of arriving to that place. So, uh, so yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad that you got a little bit out of it, even if you saw some things coming. Yeah. Uh,
0: well you had mentioned earlier that, that, you know, it's a big no-no in, uh, jujitsu to give yourself a rank. And we talked about, you know, uh, dojo culture, uh, in your experience of jujitsu or any other martial art and notice the people that have become sort of cultists to their art, was that the catalyst for writing the film?
1: Uh, not necessarily. I, I the I wrote the film. I've been training jujitsu about two years at that point. It was at the tail end of 2015, and it really was just that I wanted to write something that was set in the world of uh, something that I loved, and I, I knew that I couldn't really make a movie about jujitsu at the time, nor would it would have it wouldn't have made sense uh, in the context of of this this film. Uh, I wanted to make something that I think you more traditionally know, uh, like more, sorry, more people traditionally tend to know what it is. So karate, uh, even your aunt and uncle that live in wherever, Alabama, they're going to know what karate is, whereas they're not going to know jujitsu uh, for the most part. I, I wanted to set something in that space and, and really kind of make you think it's going to be about one thing, but then start putting my own thoughts and fears into it. So mm. particularly around that time, I was just, I wasn't sure if I was man enough. I didn't feel like I... I hadn't a good enough understanding of of what it meant to be masculine or i I saw myself intimidated around other guys, and I wasn 't sure why because people were nice, but at the same time I had this like I, I don't know this weird intimidation factor walking a gym for example, and I really thought that 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 was a, such a personal idea that i that would be interesting to talk about, but then really started in conversations after the factor since screening the film, have found that more people also feel that way and, and that women are relate, able to relate to the film in another way or that people who are trans are relating to it in a very different way. And, and that's all been really exciting. And then the, the martial arts, really, for me, are peripheral. It's, it's like the setting and it's the, um, uh, the kind of vehicle for these these important, more important conversations. It seems interesting because our society has gone full extremes.
0: <laughs> Excuse me. It doesn't seem like there's a middle ground anymore for masculinity. It's either all the way alpha left or all the way uh you know zeta right there's nothing in between or the majority isn't in between anymore like if you watch like classic films you know it's like the guy's macho but he's clean cut and he's respectable but he can still knock your head off you know and now it's just this weird like caveman versus super effeminate there's the middle ground doesn't seem to be there anymore
1: well, that's so one of the questions I got at the Q&A for Seattle Film Festival, I want to say one question that really stood out was somebody asked me what my definition of masculinity was post making this film. And I actually don't think that there should be an answer to that. I think that for me, the, the film is more about being yourself and not thinking about things in terms of gender and identity. It's more just like, who are you and are you being true to who you are? And, and that was, it's like a cliche idea. But I think it's very important it's an idea that gets lost a lot is is why does it have to be a or b why can't it be like something in between or why does why does there have to be a black or white why can't it just be this gray uh that that was more important for me and I think that it, it i don't know the the film tries to go about saying that, but in a way that hopefully doesn't feel preachy or messagey.
0: Right. No, and it didn't feel that way at all. Uh, Since you're on the East Coast, you know, Henzo Gracie has an academy out there, uh, you know, one of the most famous Gracies out there. Matt Serra has an academy out there who's trained by Henzo. Um, You know, they're both very combative guys, former world champions in mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu, but they're also very, like, compassionate and loving men. So it always makes me laugh when people assume that it either has to be either extreme, when Henzo and Matt are just proof that you could be both.
1: Totally, and actually, uh, my my instructor, the, the person who, because I trained at uh, Henzo Gracie LA, so mm-hmm. my instructor got his black belt uh, under Henzo, and his his like training partner, one of his like uh, kind of superiors was Matt Sarah, and came up in that space too. And his name is Sean Williams, and he's the same exact thing. Family men, not afraid of who they are, not afraid to, like, be themselves because they know they can fuck you up if you, like, <laughs> if you, like try to talk shit. So, like, I, I like this. And, and they run their academies in a way that's inclusive. You can be any uh, nationality, any gender, any body type, any age everyone's allowed to train and it's never like even brought up and and that's the way that it should be. And that's in a weird way. I feel like a, a lot of gyms are thought of as being like this microcosm for like toxic masculinity and locker room talk and all that. I actually feel like most jujitsu gyms are some of the more inclusive places you'll ever be because the great equalizer is the martial art itself. Like when you're training with somebody and they footlock you and you have to tap and they're you may be a bigger dude and they're a smaller woman and they make you tap, there's no getting around it. Like that's the equalizer. And I think that that's a really cool way to go about life. It's like, who's to say that Sony is cooler or better or stronger or whatever, like why can't they just be themselves? That's, that's right. at the end of the day the most important thing.
0: Right, and I, I see that point quite a bit. You know, the issue I, I've had with the term toxic masculinity is that it's not true alpha masculinity because if you're a true alpha, you know who you are and you don't need to prove anything to anybody. You know, it's this weird, like, beta strength thing of I have to prove how great I am to the world, and it's really just a fragile ego.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to put a term on something for people to be able to talk about it, yeah. and that's, like, the term toxic masculinity kind of ended up being that term. But when I was writing this movie... I don't think I'd even heard that term. I think I was talking about it more as this like uh, negativity, this like this. I, why does it have to be this certain way? What is society's expectation? But uh, it's interesting. In the, since I've written the script, like actually, while we were shooting, at the Me Too movement really, really started, and these conversations were becoming more of a forefront uh, discussion. Uh, and I, I wonder at times, like, had this movie come out. Uh, in 2015 or even 2016, would it have connected the way that it is or would it have kind of fallen under the radar a little bit because they're like, oh, that's not an issue that says as, as important right now as this other thing. But uh, it's really fascinating that it's coming out at a time where these these conversations are happening pretty regularly and uh, it, it hopefully is saying something without, again, being too on the nose or obviously it's on the nose, but like too preachy or, or messagey, but at least tells you like that it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay for a guy to, to talk about his emotions. It's okay for uh, a, a woman to train whatever she wants to train. Like, everyone uh, it, it teach their own type of mentality.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very confusing situation, especially with the United States, because, you know, I, I look at the Middle East, for example, and the issue that was going on with ISIS. I'm not getting political, but I'm using this as an example. And you had these 14, 15-year-old women, and I will use the term women because they're the ones defending their villages. You know, father was killed or kidnapped, and here they are picking up you know, arms to defend the, the hometown and Mm -hmm. you know, they're still feminine, but they're still strong women. And why does it seem that the rest of the world can find the balance for their women, but the United States in particular, and you know, our cousins over in England, because they started the party over here, um, seem to infantile our adult women yet sexualize our young girls.
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, I think that it's a problem throughout the world still, and you see it in in, like I, I was just in Korea, and and one of the filmmakers was telling me that uh, uh, it's only been in recent years that you've been really seeing films starring women instead of only starring men. And that that's a new thing, but it's what the young people there are finally able to do, and they're kind of pushing it forward. And so you're still seeing progression everywhere. I think that's never going to be not an issue. Uh, It's just that we've got it very, very prominent in our society, in our United States. In the United States, it's definitely going to be an issue for a long time before it's like it's never going to be fully fixed. But uh, I, hopefully more and more people are, are kind of able to push their art uh, towards a certain direction and have these conversations come up. And, and uh, also, in, for, in my instance at least, hopefully people enjoy the movie at the same time. And, and the, the, the issues that are talked about are in a way that, like, don't take away from the fact that you're also still having a good time and hopefully enjoying an entertaining film.
0: Of course. Uh, one of my favorite scenes was the belt scene. Uh, you know the the custom made uh, casual dress belts. I like. I thought that was hilarious.
1: Um, I really appreciate that.
0: Was there a, a scene in the film that you had written that you really wanted to incorporate, but for some reason just didn't fit the final narrative?
1: Um. No. The script. The script is what's in the movie. There's only one deleted scene in the entire film, and it's not even really spoilery. So I can t- tell you what it was. It was like twenty. 30-second scene where David Zellner's character, Henry, uh, right after Casey's promoted to uh, a black stripe and he's, he's given permission to attend the night classes, he exits Sensei's uh, office and they kind of cross paths like in a in a, like high school movie or like an after school special sort of situation, cross paths. He looks down, smiling, looks down, sees the stripe on his belt, and then, like, his head drops and he just walks away without saying anything. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny and melodramatic to me, but it also just didn't seem like it needed to be there. I think for the most part, the script uh, was what it was from day one because I spend so much time outlining and really kind of thinking about an idea before I even go to the outline uh, altogether. I'm so sure of what I want to do before I start doing it because I feel like if you write something and you go back and you have to like think about it after the fact or if you're writing something that's where all your thought is happening in that moment you're going to have to go back and rewrite I'd rather not rewrite as much if I can avoid it I'd rather kind of work out those problems ahead of time and, and kind of use the, the that prep as the, the, the pre-writing sort of rough draft stage of the of the, of the process but, but yeah I mean I think the movie already had ha- like I would say the belt scene was one where I was always pretty sure of how I wanted it to play, but I couldn't have imagined that it would play as well as it did. So that's a happy like win. But, uh, but yeah, I knew, I knew what I wanted the movie to be.
0: Is there a situation in that, um, is it easier as an indie filmmaker to write and direct your own film than having a big studio breathing down your neck and how they want the story to come out? Because you pretty much just said that, everything you wanted ended up in the film except for this 30 second clip.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I cut down the movie. Like the the first cut was was definitely like a two hour movie and it's down 15 minutes from that. But, but those were all things that I've cut on my own. Those were, I think there's a shot of Jesse Heisenberg masturbating for uh, like, that was a little longer in my in original cut that I wish was still longer, but that was a compromise that was made. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like I had a, a, a partner in Bleecker Street who's releasing the movie and, and that they let me make the movie I wanted to make and they encouraged me at times to push it even further and other times to pull it back, but they were right. Uh, it, there's a fun thing in making an independent film where you get left alone a little bit And you get to do things that somebody else might feel is dangerous, but those dangerous things are what make the movie interesting and appealing to an audience. It's something they maybe haven't seen before. And I do like living and working in that space. And I hope to continue to make movies that get ever so slightly bigger uh, with each project, but also never get to that point where – somebody else is directing the movie for you, or if it's a, or it's a film by committee. I, I, I deliberately want to keep making movies that are very me.
0: I dig it. Uh, Riley, uh, last two things. Um, what's the big takeaway that everyone can, you know, the general audience can take away from uh, the art of self-defense? And where can we find you on social media if we'd like to follow you?
1: Awesome, man. I, uh, I, I think I've already said it sort of, but I, I really just want people to, like, enjoy the film and, and, and kind of think about the fact that, it's okay to be who you are, like it's it's cliche, it's cheesy, but it's true. Like just be who you are and, and that's enough. And uh uh I, I hope people laugh and are surprised and have fun with the film and tell their friends I mean, we're still an independent film so anything helps and, and, and let if you liked it, let your friends know you liked it. And uh, if, you, if you want to follow me on Twitter, right now it's basically a commercial for this movie, but I'm trying to do it in a funny enough, interesting enough way that maybe it's not too annoying. And if you want to see how big of a dork I am, follow me on Instagram. Uh, Riley Stearns for both of those. Uh, I, I don't recommend either, but do it on, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want to, like, if you're a masochist.
0: And just to make sure, Stearns is spelled S-T-E-A-R-N-S.
1: Yes, sir. Riley, R-I-L-E-Y, S-T-E-A-R-N-S.
0: Perfect. And The Art of Self-Defense comes out this Friday, July 12th.
1: Yes, it does. And limited release, Austin, L.A., New York, and San Francisco. And then next week it expands to more cities. I'm really, really excited about that.
0: Perfect. And will we also be able to find it on VOD anytime soon?
1: Eventually it will be on Amazon, but please it in the theater. Why not? Do it. Perfect.
0: All right, Riley, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully one day we'll get to grapple with each other, test judo versus jujitsu like, you know, they always want to do. And, uh, you know, congratulations on the film.
1: Uh, Challenge match accepted.